Hello and welcome to the Growing Facts Podcast. In this podcast, you'll follow along as we find answers to all the burning questions about fetal development and help pregnant people make informed choices from facts, not fear. My name is Shalaka Shah, and I'm finishing my PhD in child psychology with a focus on the effects of prenatal stress on the development of the baby, and I'm in the process of getting pregnant by IVF. I'm Alison Baker. I'm a physician specializing in internal medicine with a particular interest in obstetrical medicine, and I'm also a soon-to-be mom of twins. Last episode was a science episode in which we answered the question, what is prenatal programming? In today's episode, Shalaka and I are going to be chatting about fertility issues and how IVF works. So Shalaka, right now you're going through the process of IVF. So you've gone through all of the testing and everything, and you're starting on the hormonal treatment, right? That is correct. Um, I've essentially, I mean, really, we started, my husband and I, we started this process a really long time ago. Um, so we've been doing tests for a really long time, knowing that we'd want to get pregnant soon. And we started the hormonal stuff. Well, I, we, I say we, really, it's me, which, <laughs> not going to lie, right now, I'm feeling a little bit resentful about the fact that it's always me that has to take all the pills and take all the injections. But I mean, yeah, that's because life, I guess. basically, he's just coming into a cup. But you have to take all the hormones and do all of these things, which have a bigger impact on your body than on his. Yes, that is accurate. Um, what, what day are we today? August 31st. So as I started estrogen pills on August 15th, and I took those for about a week and some. And then I've been taking injections for about a week. And oh my God, it's, it's really, I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit challenging. First of all, I have a phobia of needles. So uh, I need my husband to do the injection for me. I can prep it, but I can't do it myself because I just cannot bear to watch the needle go into my skin which makes me feel almost like a child sometimes. And it makes me feel bad that I can't do it myself. But I'm like, you know what, I'm already putting up with enough as it is that I'm not going to also then put it on me to work on my phobia of needles at the same time. <laughs> I think I have time to work on that later. I, I mean, it's something that you will have to address. But I think there are so many other things right now that are going on, you have to kind of pick your battles, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and already it's, you know, like, um, in the evening, I have to take two shots of two different medications. And basically what those do is help mature the follicles that are in my, I, I want to say ovaries. they're in my follicles. Are they in my ovaries? Nope, okay. You see, now we're, we're revealing some of my ignorance about my own reproductive system because I know generally <laughs> how the reproductive system of women works. But with the IVF stuff, because I don't have fertility issues, I'm never sure whether the medication they're giving me is like what it's specifically aimed to do, right? And so it seems like in this situation, all the meds that they're giving me is just, it's like my normal system, but like really jacked up, you know, like they're trying to do all the <laughs> things. And so like, it's like, yeah, two medications in my stomach at nighttime. And then I had my first ultrasound this morning. Oh, how exciting. Which is really exciting. And? It was exciting because I was nervous. I was like, oh my God, I really hope it's working. They're going to see the progress. And so basically what they did is that they looked at um, my follicles, um, which are on either like kind of either side um, and to see how many I had and how big they were. And those follicles, like one of those in the natural course of things, right one of those would be released mm -hmm. and then uh, if it failed to join with the sperm then it would eventually deteriorate and then I would have my, my period right but so we I have 10 on each side which is pretty healthy Ooh. yeah I've always been nervous about that because you know like I am 34 years old and and they do say that your reproductive like your available follicles decline with age but um as 
in concordance with my previous ovarian reserve tests, I have a lot of follicles and they seem to be doing pretty well. And basically the medication has like helped them grow and get bigger because you want them to be bigger for reasons that I don't fully understand. But anyway, what we're doing with the IVF is that we're kicking your ovaries into overdrive so that you have more than one egg ready at one point so that we can go and we can pick many eggs at the same time. And then we take those eggs, we match them with your husband's sperm and we freeze them. So, so we're putting them into overdrive so that you have many at one time. Right. So in this situation, it looks like I'm going to have 20, um, assuming that they all, oh yeah, well, like I said, 10 on each side. And then they like literally measured it in the, in the ultrasound. So they also this morning took my blood and they were going to run some blood tests. And then they said, okay, well, you know, things are going really great. Your next ultrasound is going to be on Monday. Today's a, a Wednesday. And then at that point, we'll probably decide that your follicles are mature enough. And then we'll set a date for retrieving your egg surgically, like a few days after that. So in about a week from now, but then, and then they said, okay, you're going to start in the morning injections to prevent ovulation and you're going to start that on Friday because they don't want my body to do its natural thing because they want to keep all the 10 follicles or the 20 follicles in place. They don't want anyone to be released. But then I got a call this afternoon from my clinic saying like, oh, your stuff is going so well that you need to start taking the anti-ovulation medication right now, like literally right now pull out your dose, do the thing because it's happening. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, so I literally had to call my husband and I'm like, come, come home, home now. now because <laughs> well, as the aforementioned phobia of needles, I've only had evening injections so far. So he knows to be home at six. He didn't expect to have to be home mid afternoon, but I was like, you need to come home. And then I took the injection <laughs> And now it's just like, I do feel a little bit like I'm a slave to these because they, you, they really highly recommend that you take them at the same hour. And I've been so like, I'm, you know, I'm a very much a rule follower. Like you tell me to do a thing every day at six, I'm going to do it every day. It's like six, between six and 601. So <laughs> it's a little tiring. And honestly, the side effects, oof, it's, it's been rough. Like I have cramps, I have nausea, I have headaches. I spent all of yesterday asleep. I'm not even joking. I was awake for four hours yesterday. Wow. Um, yeah. And I'm incredibly lucky that like my thesis is almost done and I don't have to do too much writing. My boss in private practice has been so incredibly nice to me. She's been so understanding. She knows that I'm going through IVF and it really makes me think like, what do women, uh, first of all, not everyone wants to be open about their IVF. Mm -hmm. Like I'm being open about it. I'm talking about it on a podcast, but not everyone wants to talk about this. Like what do women do when they have jobs that don't allow them this amount of time off? Like, you know, like the injections at a certain time, I'm taking time off to do ultrasounds. I'm taking time off for appointments. I'm taking all of next week off because I'm expecting to have a literal surgical procedure where my eggs will be removed. It, it takes, it feels like a part-time job. And I feel so lucky to be in a position to be able to do this. And I really wonder what other women do when they have more rigid schedules in their jobs. So there's two things that you mentioned. There's one, the side effects of the drugs, which are very important. Um, like some, some of the side effects uh, women will have during the first trimester of pregnancy. And it's kind of expected. Um, but again, it's, it's often women won't divulge that the during their first trimester so we're kind of stuck feeling like crap for a while <laughs> without <laughs> anybody understanding why we're so cranky <laughs> so that can, that can be tricky but you were also saying how 
it's very disruptive for your schedule, right? So you were saying it's going to depend on your ultrasound and then you have to come in and then you have to do the surgical, the surgery and you can't plan this in advance. No, no, you cannot plan anything in advance. And it's just, it's like, yeah, it's your, your body. And again, you know, I can roughly plan in advance because I have a very regular cycle. Like all of this is dependent on my natural cycle. I don't have fertility issues. So I'm not sitting there wondering when my next period is going to be like, I know because I use a period tracker app in my normal life. And I, I'm, I'm like clockwork, you know, like I, even though I didn't know well in advance exactly which day was going to do which thing, which is what makes it hard for work because I do see patients at my own clinic and private practice. And so I can't schedule someone at a certain time if I don't know if I can even be in my own practice at that time. I do roughly know which day I'm going to do this because I know what my cycle is. And these things are dependent on when you are in your cycle. But like, what if someone had fertility problems and they weren't sure when their next cycle was going to be or they weren't sure if the medication was going to help? It like, honestly, it feels overwhelming and exhausting. And I'm in the best case kind of scenario here. So, yeah. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> How long did it take you to get to this point in the process? Mm. Well, it took us quite a long time, but the reason that it took us a long time is because we started thinking about this like a year and a half ago. We started considering what to do. And, and the point at which we started considering was when we thought, okay, well, we have this genetic thing on one side of the family and we want to be selecting embryos. And at that point, we like made an appointment and all those things. So we've been thinking about it and mulling about it for a really long time. And we started doing actual tests and stuff about six months ago, I want to say like fertility testing to make sure that we didn't also have fertility problems that neither of us had suspected because neither of us had ever tried to be pregnant. So we had to do those tests. But I'd say about six months ago, sorry, six months before I started medication is when we'd done most of the tests. Yeah. Okay. So like, this isn't a process that you can start very quickly either. No, God, no takes a really long time to do everything. And then, I mean, I guess maybe someone who's in a rush, they can like, try to rush all the tests and have it done. But I I think that like, that wouldn't be most people's cases, because especially if you're doing IVF for fertility things, like you probably have to try a bunch of different medications before even reaching the point that we reached. Because, you know, there's like meds that you can take that can help boost your fertility, while you're still trying to conceive naturally, before even going hmm. into the IVF. And I think most doctors, correct me if I'm wrong, most doctors do recommend that uh, people experiencing fertility issues or difficulties conceiving, they recommend that they do those first, right? Right, because IVF has a series of side effects that are non-negligible. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. But uh, there are some some things that are very unique to, um, to IVF, such as ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, and there are a couple of other things. So um, we don't do IVF if there are other are other simpler options, right. like ones that don't actually require surgical removal of the uh, of the eggs. I mean, yeah, experiencing it now, I can definitely see why that would be the case. And also just the fact that it's expensive. Um, and, you know, that, of course, is going to depend on wherever people live. And, and, and it, actually, where we live here, uh, the first round of IVF for infertility is covered by the government. Um, but because we don't have fertility problems... 
our IVF is not covered. So we have to pay out of pocket. So, you know, it's like, it's expensive. It's difficult. It's time consuming. It's uncertain. I have so many, so many holes in my abdomen right now. <laughs> I know that's a gross, <laughs> is that a gross thing to say, but it's true. My, my belly is full of holes because it's getting poked now three different needles per day. <laughs> so it's a lot. So my sympathies, those, those are never fun. <sighs> yeah. So enough about me. Tell me how you're doing. How is your pregnancy progressing? How are you feeling? Uh, so at this point, I'm at 16 weeks and I'm already pretty big. I was pretty surprised because most people manage to kind of camouflage their pregnancy up until their 20th week. While as I'm 16 weeks and this is not subtle. Like, I mean, four patients on Monday looked at my belly and was like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is very brave or very silly of you. But you are right at this occasion. Yeah. <laughs> So my belly is showing a lot, but I'm feeling very lucky that I didn't get any of the nausea in the first trimester. But you were talking about fatigue, and definitely I do feel like a potato in the evening. <laughs> so there are more hormones because of twins. Oh. So I'm definitely preparing myself to be a beluga whale. And I'm just thinking about women who have twins as their second, third, or fourth pregnancy. And I'm like, oh my god, you guys are superheroes. <laughs> For my first trimester, I would get here at like four and just getting off of the sofa was so hard. And I have a dog who's this 100 pound lab mix and he needs a bit of attention. <laughs> and I was just looking at him and I was like, oh, going for a walk is like so hard. So I raise my hat to all of those parents out there, especially moms, I guess, who have raised children while going through their first trimester of pregnancy. And some of them have, have it so much worse than me because I know one of my friends had terrible nausea in her first trimester and she would just be puking the whole time. Oh no. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't have that particular symptom. So how do the women who are experiencing those symptoms who say have a not don't have like twins so like you said they're not showing until 20 weeks so how did those women cope at work if they're not disclosing their pregnancy but they're like puking every morning yeah so that's really tricky because especially in my field before covid people would kind of keep their pregnancy a secret until around their 20th week and it's kind of tricky to disclose it because you're excited but you know your colleagues are going to be like yay but not so happy because that means that they're going to have to cover your shifts because you can't be replaced, at least here in Quebec. So I think, I don't know how women do it. And I think that's kind of terrible that we can't get support when we're undergoing something that just makes you feel like crap. Like you're happy about it, but you're not feeling great about it. Right. <laughs> And then you're not talking about it. And maybe you don't want to talk about it. Maybe you do want to talk about it. I mean, what was what's your experience been like in terms of talking about it with other people in your workplace or in your personal life? Well, in my case, this is actually a third pregnancy. The first two pregnancies ended in a miscarriage and I had to get a DNC. So that's a surgical procedure where they remove the embryo that hasn't that isn't viable anymore. So because of that, Obviously, we were a lot more careful before before telling other people about this pregnancy. We really wanted to be sure. But because of that, also, my ultrasound was a lot sooner. Uh, so I got my ultrasound at eight weeks. Most women will listen to the heart around 12 weeks. Obviously, I know very well my, my obstetrician. She's one of my colleagues. So I texted her to be like, can you do an echo for me? And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Come up this 
this afternoon. And I get there and the tech's like, so where's your boyfriend? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to bring him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and at that ultrasound, um, so I'm, I'm trying to see, but it's kind of hard to figure out what you're seeing, even though like I'm in the medical field. And so she just looks at me and she goes like very softly. And she's like, are you ready? And all I'm thinking is, oh, crap, third one. Aww. Are you kidding me? And all of these swear words are going through my mind at this point. And she took like this really dramatic pause. And she's like, it's twins. Ah! I'm like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Did you see the heartbeats? Do we have two heartbeats? And she just looks at me kind of funny. She's like, well, yeah, yeah. Wow. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and then I'm just like lying back there in like euphoria because like I always thought twins were great. Yeah. And she's like thinking that I'm in a shocky state. And she's like, are you okay? You're like really calm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm thrilled. This is fantastic. <laughs> but because of that, my, my boyfriend wasn't with me for that echo. So I actually didn't tell him. So what happened is that when we went back for our follow-up ultrasound to see how it goes, I brought him and I told the obstetrician beforehand that he wasn't aware. So she had um, to announce it to him and he was over the moon. Aww. It was so fun. Can I, can I yeah. ask a personal question? Go ahead. Um, when you had your first two miscarriages, at what weeks were the miscarriages? At how many weeks, I should say? So the first one... I was at 10 weeks and it had stopped at eight. Mm -hmm. And the second one, I was at eight weeks and it had stopped at six. Okay. So these were very early miscarriages. Okay. There's actually a lot of pregnancies that end in miscarriages, about a fourth to a third. And the fact that the pregnancy tests nowadays are so much more accurate means that we notice our miscarriages a lot more, which might cause a bit more trauma because in the times of our mothers they couldn't test at week six they had to wait a month or two that of being late before they could test for it so a lot of delays in in your period could actually have been miscarriages but they didn't know that so i think like there's a good thing about science being super precise because that way if you want to go to a party and you're like oh crap am i pregnant or not well, then you can test for it, which isn't perfect, but it's a bit better. Or if you want to, if it's an unwanted pregnancy and you need to procure an abortion within a certain period of time, I would imagine that an early detection is yes. vital. That's a, that's a great point. But yeah, so miscarriages are, are very frequent. And so initially, we we let a few friends know about it. And a lot, a lot of our friends had had miscarriages a lot of them were for their first pregnancy too at one point I kind of had to tell more people and that's when I realized that there's like this kind of secret society of solidarity so people don't talk about theirs but if you talk about it then don't there talk are about so it. many women that have gone through it and that will back you up and and some of them will share these stories about how it was like a 22 week miscarriage or like a lot later in their pregnancy and you're like oh my god okay so that's really rough and there's such a feeling of solidarity initially it felt taboo to talk about mm -hmm. it but when i ended up telling more people about it it felt more natural and i did get so much support why do you think it's taboo in the first place to talk about miscarriages. I think it 
goes back to your body not doing what it was supposed to do. Hmm. You know how infertility has this sense of disappointment in yourself, that your body isn't doing the right thing. There's a sense of failure. There's a bit of a sense of guilt, even though I rationally know that I shouldn't. But there's some people will put that guilt on you. So so some people actually ask me, well, is it because you're too tired? Is it because you're working too much? What are you doing that's wrong? And are you serious? Yeah. So obviously they didn't say, what are you doing that's wrong? But they did suggest that there were things that I had done that I could have stopped doing, which would have prevented it. So that there were factors in my control, which, guys, is absolutely not true. So if ever somebody tells you that, walk away. They're wrong. Wow. Um, unless you've been binging on absinthe. But otherwise, so so if you're taking proper care of yourself, then the miscarriage is most probably a genetic problem that makes the embryo not viable. So there's nothing that you could have done to fix that. So this is not your fault at all. And most of the time, one or even two miscarriages doesn't mean that your fertility is problematic. It's just a freak accident. That it happened to happen twice in a row or something. Yeah, that's it. It was just a statistical anomaly, basically. I mean, I bet a lot of people are beating themselves up. Like, I mean, for you, after your second miscarriage, were you starting to question your own fertility? Were you starting to wonder if you were going to be able to get pregnant? Yeah. So the first one was more of an emotional pain because I was I wasn't worried after the first one I was just really sad because we we were fully expecting to have a baby and then like your hopes and dreams are kind of crushed but on the second one I hadn't let myself dream as much but then but then there was the rational fear of oh my god this has happened a second time is this going to be recurrent am I going to be able to get pregnant and turns out the story the story ends happily so my body kind of made up for it by going with twins this time. So let's, let's go with efficiency. Um, <laughs> so that's why it's so important to talk about to talk about it with your obstetrician so that they can figure out if there are environmental factors or biological factors that you can change. For example, diabetes can have an impact and other such illnesses so they can screen for that. Right. So basically, the general gist of it is that we should be talking more openly about these things, whether with our friends or with our doctors, like we we shouldn't be sweeping things like miscarriages and whatever under the rug, because we might be losing either value social support or valuable medical information that would be helpful to us. You know, I was actually talking with a patient today and he was telling me he remembers when he was 10, his mother had a stillborn baby and that was just swept under the rug and nobody talked about it. And nobody talked about the fact that she was pregnant when she was pregnant either. Like the whole pregnancy process was so taboo. And this is like, he was 70 years old. A very different generation. But it wasn't in the 1800s. Like it wasn't that far away but still the pregnancy had to be hidden like she didn't have the cutesy maternity clothes like she would wear baggy clothes and she would avoid people and when she had a stillbirth nobody talked about it at all but she obviously was very depressed afterwards so even when he was 10 years old he remembers his mother went through a lot and I feel like there are still some remnants of that taboo in our society so now we're thrilled about the pregnancy but if the pregnancy doesn't go well it's not a nice shiny image yeah. to project so people will hide that yeah 
And I'm not saying that you have to scream it to everybody, but I think some of those emotional pains sometimes are harder to see. Like my, my boyfriend just had surgery on his shoulder and he has a brace that he has to wear. So it is very obvious that he is hurt. But for those kinds of emotional pains, I think we have to speak up to let people know that we are hurting. I also think that people are really uncomfortable with sitting with somebody else's pain, especially when there's nothing you can do about that pain. And I think that that reflects Mm. in things like fertility issues, miscarriages, probably stillbirths as well. Like we as a society, or at least in our society, we seem to really struggle with, okay, this person is in a lot of pain and that is uncomfortable and we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say. So we don't know how to be there for them. And maybe we need to start telling our friends and family how to be there for us in those moments when we are struggling. Because I think people expect that they need to have something to say or that they need to like, I don't know, make it better. And it's like, no, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just need to sit there and listen to the person. But we don't like doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And you don't have to make the person see the good side of things. Sometimes there are no good side of things. Yeah. You don't have to find one, but just being present is enough. Really good advice for all of us (laughs) moving forward. To conclude on that subject, I think one of the take-home messages around this is also we should never ask somebody, when are you finally going to have a baby? It's starting to get late. You don't know if the person wants to have a baby, but especially you don't know if that person has been struggling for fertility with fertility issues, and you don't know if she's had 10 miscarriages, and she's like, well, yeah, duh, I've been trying for 10 years. Yeah. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. So I think that's one of those questions that we have to add to the list of do not ask unless you're very, very close to that person. Oh, 100% agree with that. And sometimes even even if it's not like, oh, they have fertility issues, like I just think about myself and I think about the various times that I've been asked by well-meaning sort of acquaintances, like, oh, when are you and your husband going to have kids? And it's like, well, I mean, we don't talk about some of the genetic stuff in our family because it's fairly personal. We're open Mm -hmm. about it with our close friends but not with all of her with like everyone and so then for them to ask when are you going to have kids well do I want to sit here and explain to you that there's this diagnosis and we need to do IVF and whatever (laughs) like no oh my god no I've met you five times in my life like you don't need to hear my life story don't ask me when we're going to be pregnant like it's just like it's literally never an appropriate question ever I just don't know why people ask it but I think I think it's well-intentioned, but I do think that we've got to stop asking that. Put that in your list of never ask a woman if she's pregnant and never ask anybody if they're finally going to start having babies soon. Yeah, because it's also (laughs) none of your business too, right? Right. So thank you guys for tuning in today. And we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please go ahead and rate and like the podcast. This is going to help us with the algorithm to make us more visible. And if you have questions or comments about the things that we said, if you'd like to share something that you went through, we would love to hear from you. So we're on Facebook and Instagram under the name Growing Facts Podcast, or you can email us at growingfactspodcast at gmail.com. And our next episode is going to be a science episode, and we're going to be answering the question, how did natural disasters affect pregnancy? This is going to be an interview with Dr. David Laplante. So have a nice day, guys. Bye, everyone.